Our uh, scripture reading this morning is taken from uh, the book of Romans. I'm going to be reading uh, from chapter 13, uh, just a few verses, verses uh, 1 to 7. So uh, this is God's Word. You can follow along in your own copy of the scriptures or, or on the screens or in your bulletin. Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, for authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you speak to us uh, this morning in your Word. Help us to see uh, what it means to live out the gospel in our real lives. Help us to see uh, how we apply the most precious things about your truth Um, to the intimate areas of our lives. So we need to hear your voice now. We pray that you would speak to us through your word. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Uh, If you know me, you know that uh, when I was a kid, uh, I worked at a local camp uh, pretty much for two weeks each summer. I attended as a kid uh, starting when I was three, and then I I grew up going to this camp and then became a junior counselor and then uh, became a senior counselor spending uh, every day of my summer virtually uh, working at this camp. So it was incredibly uh, formative in my life in a lot of different ways. Um, And as I was uh, thinking back on it this week, I remembered we had this really curious, I guess now, practice that we did each day at the camp. And one of the first things that we did each day at the camp is we would uh, uh, line up not just as a staff, but all the campers. And we would line the kids up in these, these, these really long rows. And we'd stand out in the field. And uh, it would be just when the sun was kind of coming over the mountains and the mist was going all over the pond. And what they had at the very front of this field were two flags. And one was uh, the American flag. So what we did each day with the campers is we, we pledge allegiance to the American flag. And the other flag was, was what they called the Christian flag. And uh, it was a white flag. It had kind of a red cross up in the corner. And then after we, we, we pledged allegiance to the American flag, we then pledged allegiance to, to this Christian flag. And it had its, its uh, own routine as well. And, I, and as I look back on this practice or on this liturgy, I, I kind of scratch my head a little bit about it. Because in many ways, each morning, not only did I lead these pledges of allegiance to campers, but I did it myself as a kid. I was pledging allegiance to a republic that was represented by one flag, and I was also pledging allegiance to the kingdom of God each morning. 
Augustine, St. Augustine, uh, his probably second most influential book was a book called uh, The City of God. And in that book, he talked about the relationship between the city of God and the city of men. And I often wonder what, what Augustine would have thought about this liturgical practice that we went through each day of pledging allegiance to a republic and pledging allegiance to God. Because in effect, that's exactly what we were doing. We were pledging allegiance to the kingdom of God and at the same time pledging allegiance to a kingdom of man. Now, if you pay attention to the news at all, you'll know that there's been uh, no shortage of discussion and debate over the Pledge of Allegiance lately, and I certainly don't want to dwell or delve into those issues. But what this passage does in the book of Romans is it helps us with figuring out what it means for us to live within the kingdoms of men while at the same time being citizens of heaven. And this in many ways is what's Paul, what Paul is doing in these chapters. If you've been with us, you'll know that these, these latter chapters in the book of Romans talks about what a life that has been transformed by the gospel looks like in the everyday. It tells us what it looks like to live out this message of the gospel, how it affects our behavior and our thinking. It, it teaches us what it means to be a living sacrifice. And in this section, what Paul is doing here is he's telling us what this looks like when it comes to matters having to do with authority in our lives. So the first thing I'd like to do is lay the foundation of our heavenly allegiance, then look at what an earthly submission looks like, and finally, see how the the submission of Jesus Christ himself embodies all of this for us. So let's, let's first look at our heavenly allegiance, or what it means for us to be residents of the city of God. And one of the things that the gospel tells us from the very beginning is that in Christ, if you are one of Christ's, then your citizenship is rooted in him and it is rooted in his kingdom. Philippians 3, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the scriptures tell us that, that after Christ's work of redemption, his incarnation, uh, his, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, after all that, Christ ascended back into heaven. The creed tells us this. It tells us uh, that he ascended back into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And the image that that carries or ought to carry for us ought to be the image of kingship because that is the seat of kingship and all authority. And what we are reminded of is that Christ is our king. And because he is our king, he demands perfect allegiance from his people, those people whom he has redeemed. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us this. It says, you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price, so glorify God in your bodies. Really, this is what Paul is talking about when he calls us a living sacrifice. Very plainly, it's a reminder that we are not the masters 
of our own lives. We no longer get to call the shots for our lives. Instead, our allegiance is rooted in God. He is the one who calls the shots in our lives. It is his authority that we have been placed under. And so this heavenly authority ought to take primacy in all things in our lives because his kingship calls us to obedience in all things and loyalty in all areas of our lives. But the question is, what, what does this really look like? What does it look like, look like in real life? Because that is something that is certain, certainly easier said than it is done. And the rub often becomes in this. What does that mean for us when we live in a world that also demands other allegiances from us. And this is really what Paul is getting at in this section when he talks about earthly submission or, or life amongst the city of man. When I, when I was thinking about, uh, back on this, uh, 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 this week, I thought back to when I was a high schooler. And I was a high schooler, it was probably like all other high schoolers, and that is, I couldn't wait to, uh, to graduate from high school because I believed that would procure for me a certain measure of freedom that I had not experienced in my life uh, to that point. I knew that I was moving away uh, to college and that I was going to get all sorts of freedom because I was now going to live on my own in college. Uh, and then I get to college and I discover very quickly, oh, oh wait a minute, there's authority here too. <laughs> I, I had professors, I had, I had bosses, I had administrators. I didn't have this kind of clart, carte blanche freedom that I thought I was going to have. So then I just delayed my expectation to adulthood, thinking once I get to adulthood, then I'll finally be able to be free and I'll be able to call my own shots. And then I got to adulthood and realized, oh, there's authority here as well. There are bosses that I have to answer to. And what I've come to realize is that we all have authorities in our lives and we never really move past having these sorts of authorities. There are authorities that exist within families. We call them uh, parents or, or grandparents, sometimes aunts and uncles. There are authorities that we all have at work. We call them bosses. And even the highest CEOs in corporations have bosses. They have board of directors that they have to answer to. There are authorities in the context of a church, people like elders and deacons. There are authorities in government, whether it be presidents or, or congressmen or police officials or fire officials. We can never really get away from authority in our lives. Because for as long as there has been culture, there has been institutions. And as long as there have been institutions, there has been authority. But what we also recognize is as long as there has been cultures and institutions and authorities, there has also been sin and abuse of those very things as well. So in that context, Paul says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And it's important for us to look at what this is exactly and also what it isn't. 
First, for us, it means that we have to recognize that God is the one who establishes all of authority. We see that in verse 1. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So essentially what that means is this, that all of authority is derived from God's authority, and all of it at the same time is instituted by God. Uh, if you go back into the Old Testament, you'll, you'll read the prophet Daniel, and, and if you know his story at all, he lived and worked for a very, very difficult king, extremely difficult on many different uh, aspects. But he wrote this. He said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons, and catch this, he deposes kings and he raises up others. You see, Daniel recognized that the authority of God was behind all human authority. And friends, what that means for us is that God has placed that boss or that parent in your life for a reason. It didn't catch him by surprise. It was all a part of his plan, and he calls his people to submit to those authorities. Now, it might be hard for you to swallow your pride and submit to someone who is difficult or maybe even someone who you've deemed to be completely incompetent in all areas of their lives. But recognize that when you submit, even when it is difficult, you are ultimately submitting to the authority of God. Now, you also might be tempted to, be th- to think this. Well, Paul doesn't realize just how reprehensible and sinful my boss is, or maybe this particular government official is. Surely he cannot mean that I'm to submit to someone who is as sinful and loathsome as this particular authority that I have in my mind or in my life. But don't forget that Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And if you don't know what that means, go home and do a quick internet history search on the kingdom of Rome and some of the stories that surround the Caesars, the rulers of that Roman kingdom, and you will find all sorts of interesting stories. In fact, what history tells us is that it was a general practice of the Roman Empire to feed Christians to the lions. Now, I don't know a lot of I know a lot of Christians, but I don't know many Christians that have been fed to the lions in their life. But don't fall into thinking that this passage in some ways doesn't apply to you because you may disagree or have a particularly difficult authority in your life. Jesus himself said, "Render to Caesar what is Caesar's." First Peter, it talks about being subject, for it is the will of God. First Timothy 2 says, offer prayers, supplication, thanksgiving for kings and all in high positions that we might lead a, perfect, a peaceful and quiet life. So what Paul is saying here, very simply put, is this. Submitting to authority is a way to obey God. 
It is right, verse 1. It is wise, verses 3 to 4. And it is fair, in verses 6 to 7. So this is what this thing means that Paul is talking about. But we also have to, to speak very quickly about what this isn't as well. Because tragically, throughout Christian history, these words have been used or even abused at times to encourage people to blindly follow a system that is evil. And if you look at the, at just for one example, at, at, the, at the history of the Christian church in Germany during the time of the Holocaust, you will find evidence of this very thing as well. Because what the scriptures are also full of is they are full of multiple cases where authorities were resisted, but because to obey them would be to sin. If you look at the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship the golden image, and because of that, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. Daniel, he refused to worship the king, so he was thrown into the lion's den. Peter and those first apostles were forbidden to spread the name of Jesus, but they did it anyway. And when they were brought before the court, before the high priest, they said, we must obey God rather than men. You see, what all these cases remind us is that our allegiance to God must be our primary allegiance And if that allegiance is compromised, then we as followers of Jesus Christ simply cannot go along. You see, our submission is never unconditional or uncritical, as John Stott put it. And there will come times times for us when our allegiance to God will contradict all other allegiances whether it is governmental allegiances, whether it is work, and whether it is family. And this is why James K.A. Smith describes this as a precarious dance, because we are moving within the jurisdiction of two different kingdoms. He writes this, To worship Christ as king is to be a people with a kingdom-oriented stance, which will sometimes look aloof and will at other times pitch us into the fray. He calls it the hard, messy work of discernment as we negotiate the dual citizenship we have between the city of God and the city of men. And so what that means for us is that our allegiance to God ought to move us into a unique tension with all authority, with all political parties, and with all governmental systems. In fact, if we don't feel that tension day in and day out, then perhaps our allegiances are in the wrong place. And so, friends, we get this wrong all of the time. We allow our lesser allegiances to wind up ruling our hearts. And so what the gospel calls us to do anew and afresh is to look to Christ. Because no one lived out this tension more acutely and perfectly 
than Jesus Christ himself. Because we see in Christ, we see in the gospel, a submission. We see the submission of Christ. You see, the gospel story tells us that Jesus, God the Son, took on human flesh and he dwelt among us. At moments, he spoke very powerfully and vocally against the corrupt kingdoms of this world. But in the end, what we see in the gospel is that he submitted to the authorities of this world. He submitted to such a degree that he allowed the Jewish and Roman collaborators to stretch out his hands and to nail them to a cross. But in the end, what the gospel tells us is that in the end, he wasn't really submitting to their authority. Instead, he was submitting to the authority of God the Father. If you look at the gospel narrative and the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays to God the Father to see if there was any other way. Was there any other way that he could accomplish our redemption without walking the path of destruction? But in the end, the gospel tells us what he did was he submitted. He submitted to the will of his Father, and he walked the path of destruction so that you and I could experience the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of our souls. Philippians 2, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, friends, Christ submitted himself to the will of the Father. He submitted himself to the earthly authorities all around him so that you and I could experience forgiveness and salvation from sin. You see, friends, only in this gospel can we ultimately find the strength to submit to those authorities that God has placed in our lives. But in all of this, what we do is we look forward. In all of this, we look forward to the day when the kingship of Christ is established in all of its fullness, where we will spend all of eternity basking in the glory of our King.